Welcome to episode number 23 for the Jackson Hole Connection, a podcast featuring wildly interesting people with wildly fascinating stories who share a connection to Jackson Hole. My name is Stephan Abrams, your host and creator of the Jackson Hole Connection. My guest today is Catherine Turner, a fourth generation resident of Jackson Hole. Catherine was raised in Jackson Hole at her family's ranch, Triangle X, which is located in Grand Teton National Park. Catherine will share with us her passion for the valley and how she brings her passion to work every day through art. Catherine will also share with us what it was like to be uprooted her senior year in high school and move to Washington, D.C. so her father could help serve our country. I'm honored to have Catherine as my guest today and her generosity to share a few of her family memories about growing up here in Jackson Hole. I have a quick word from one of my sponsors before we begin. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Catherine, thank you for being here at the Jackson Hole Connection. I so appreciate you coming out during this big snowstorm that we're having today. (laughs) It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Indeed. So jumping into Jackson Hole and Catherine Turner, give the listeners a little background of the Turner family and how you're connected to Jackson Hole because it's a fascinating story. Well, I'm lucky I'm the fourth generation Turner who's come and had the privilege of growing up here in this beautiful valley. So we have a rich history here, and we're very fortunate for that. We've gotten a chance to see a lot of changes in Jackson over those four generations. It almost seems like that time has been compressed because when my great-grandfather came here, it was a frontier for sure. There actually were no hotels or restaurants in Jackson. There were no grocery stores in Jackson (laughs) when my great-grandfather got here. So Jackson, you had to be very self-sufficient. And that's kind of the stock that I come from. You know, there was, you had to make sure that you grew all of your own food. You had to raise all of the hay to feed your livestock through these deep winters. You had to build your home out of whatever you could make or gather from the from the woods behind your property kind of a thing, which is how the ranch was built. Um, and it's really interesting if you look at some of these old houses and their um, furniture, there wasn't a lot of furniture and the furniture that was there was all handmade because you can imagine bringing furniture to the valley hmm. was tricky. I mean, it had to come on a covered wagon. Um, so you're really picky about what kind of heirlooms you'd bring from the east coast not many king size beds no not a lot of porcelain plates (laughs) no so that was interesting because a lot of the furniture at the ranch was made by my grandfather that's what they would do all winter long is make furniture and it was a lodgepole furniture because you know milling lumber and things like that was tricky and Mm -hmm. easier just to make lodgepole furniture so i was really fortunate to grow up with my aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents on the Triangle X Ranch, which is now located inside of Grand Teton National Park. At the time, this was before even the park is, was established, mm-hmm. the ranch was established. So we've kind of been, and it started out as a cattle ranch. There were a number of cattle ranches sprinkled up in that part of the valley. 
ours was um, one that has survived. Um, so we're celebrating our like 95th year coming up. Fantastic. Isn't that amazing? It I know. Is. It's a real, it's really special. Um, and God willing, we'll continue to do what we do up there. We're no longer a cattle ranch. We're, we evolved into a dude ranch. It was pretty tough to have cattle ranch up in that end of the valley. Um, and there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, because of the just that much more snow, may, growing enough hay to feed your herd, it was a big project. The other thing that was tricky was getting the cattle from up in the Moran area over to Driggs with cattle train. So just even getting them to market, to the train, to the market, you lose a lot of their weight mm-hmm. by the time you could get them to that. So it was tricky, and we've decided it was more cost-effective to ranch dudes to have a guest ranch. <laughs> but that started early on. That started um, as soon as the word got out that the Turners moved to Jackson Hole. People wanted to come visit and stay, and so they had to figure out how to host them there. It was your great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. What year did he land here in the valley? He came in the 1920s. And what brought him out to the big frontier? You know, it was the same reason that I think we all come. He and his family were cattle ranchers in Utah, and they'd come here to hunt and fish in the summertime and camp, mm-hmm. and they'd camp in that same area, and they fell in love with it. Okay. So they just would come in the summer for a couple weeks, and he said, if I ever left Utah, this is where I would come. So then the homesteader that was there, Bill Jump, was selling his property, and as legend has it, he was really desperate to sell. He'd been sick and in the hospital all winter and he just was it's it's it was a hard place to make a living because you're so isolated so he was desperate to sell and my great-grandfather found out the asking price and he offered him twice what the asking price was because he thought that the that bill jump was selling selling the place too 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 cheap what a fantastic man yeah he was he was a great man he was really well respected both down in Utah, and then when he came here, everyone in town called him Dad Turner. Oh, wow. That's special. Yeah. Very sweet. Yeah. And so now you grew up here with aunts, uncles, cousins up on the ranch. And to give people an idea, we're talking about how many miles from the town up to the ranch. It's about 25 miles. And elevation gain, maybe 600 feet? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So... For people to get an idea, the 25 miles now is a 25-30 minute drive, but that 600 feet, when you say the difference of snow, is remarkable. It it, it it's is. It's a different climate. Yeah, it is a different mm-hmm. climate. Um, spring lasts longer. Mm-hmm. Falls come earlier. It was significant before they had, um, b- before they had the highways, before they had snow removal, before they had because my dad. And my gra- and my grandparents, they were snowed in all winter. So they, the only way they could get to town was um, horse-drawn sleigh mm-hmm. in the winter time or ski. And they would only come to town maybe once a winter. So it was very, very isolated all winter long. And then they didn't have any um, electricity or indoor plumbing. Well, they actually did have indoor plumbing, but that's another story. All right. <laughs> um, so, so. Their their uh, homes were all heated by firewood and some coal, and they were the houses were lit with kerosene lanterns and 
they kind of rigged up like um, this electrical system using car batteries, but that wouldn't last very long. At about seven o'clock, the lights would start to dim. Mm-hmm. They would have to, they just kind of go to sleep. Yeah, or light a kerosene lantern. But a lot of their, but their bedrooms weren't heated. My dad, Ooh. yeah. So my dad would talk about what it was like to go from the one room that they did keep a wood burning stove in, and then go crawl into bed. Whoa. Yeah, they just piled high with blankets. And he said, you just jump in and you wouldn't move uh-huh. until you could get that one spot warm. <laughs> 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 to this day, he likes a cold room to oh, sleep in. I bet he does. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. it's it, it was a different world. And my grandmother would tell me the story about when she went into labor mm-hmm. to deliver my uncle. He was born December 29th. Whoa. So she had to go, while she was in labor, horse-drawn sleigh from the ranch 25 miles into town to have this baby at St. John's. And she said she kept feeling the sleigh go over snowdrifts and come crashing down, uh, going over snowdrifts and come crashing down. She was tougher than me. <laughs> tough lady. She was a tough lady. And 25 miles in the snow back then with a horse-drawn sleigh was half a day or a full-day trip? It was actually a couple days trip. I think they probably shortened it up when you have a woman in labor. But um, they would go as far as moose. Okay. And overnight. Mm-hmm. And then they'd keep going the next day. Um, eventually, they'd plow to, they plowed to moose, and then mm-hmm. they could leave a car there. Okay. But it would take all day to get to, to moose. To get to moose. Yeah, from the ranch. Amazing. So now... Catherine Turner is a artist. You have your own art gallery here. Tell us how you transitioned from this girl in small town Jackson Hole, Wyoming, to being a uh, passionate and successful artist. Well, there's there's a lot of reasons why, but really, when I think about it, I'm like, why why wouldn't you be an artist when you <laughs> live here? Because it's so inspiring. It is an inspiring place. It's a really inspiring mm-hmm. place. And I remember ever since I was a kid, I wanted to find a way to express my appreciation for the beauty here. I was I was always moved by how spectacular it is. And it's really beautiful at the ranch. You know, to be surrounded by that kind of um, pristine wilderness, it changes a person. Mm-hmm. It, 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 has a, it had a profound effect on me. But I was really lucky because I got to go to Moran School for elementary school, which is a little rural public school. Was there a one-room school then? It was, there were three rooms. Okay. It, 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 with seven grades in it. So. It was packed. It was, well, no. There, no. I mean, there were 30 kids total. Okay. In the school. And my favorite day was Thursday. Because on Thursday, we had art class. And art class meant that a bus would come from town that was gutted and inside this bus this magic bus were filled with art supplies no way potter's wheels and weaving looms and it was the music teacher too and he'd come with musical instruments and boxes of colored paper and clay and yarn and scissors and all the kids on thursday afternoons would pile into the bus make art and then bus would go down the road to the next little rural schoolhouse it wasn't a bus from jackson it was a bus for the area yeah for all the outline schools like like kelly Mm -hmm. wilson alta and then osha got a hold of things oh 
Yeah. Yeah. They shouldn't. No. They spoil all the fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was my favorite day. Thursdays were my favorite day. So I got to have this really great education. Really kind of the student teacher ratio at Moran School was amazing. And we had Grand Teton National Park as our, you know, during lunch hour, recess breaks. Not everybody has Grand Teton National Park as your (laughs) recess area. Did you guys have to cut recess early for a moose or a bear being in the playground? Yeah, and what it cracks me up is um, that we, we we would have that on occasion moose were a big problem because there were a lot more moose mm-hmm. and moose were so much more aggressive i mean they're just aggressive especially cow moose mm-hmm. that's the most dangerous animal and if it has, it's young yeah there you go that's <laughs> the most fierce animal jackson hall listeners but very rarely would they keep us in from the cold and they would get down 30 below regularly they wouldn't ever worry about us out there being cold we didn't know any different my boys who go to Children's Learning Center, they have the big five, yeah. of course, yeah. and they will go play outside as long as it's above 10 degrees. Oh. It wasn't negative 30, but now maybe OSHA's involved in that. Or, okay, yeah, they don't let them go out. It has to be at least 10, at least degrees, 10 degrees for them to go outside. Warmer. But negative 30, wow. Yeah, they, they still just let kick you us out and be like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> if you see anybody standing still, move them. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Shake them. <laughs> and I remember coming in from recess, and you know, you you're so cold, and the blood rushes back to your your extremities, and it burns. Oh yes, it's really crazy. <laughs> yeah, and that was regular. That happened a lot. So, did you leave the valley for a period of time? Yeah. So I, I finished um, elementary school there, and then we came into the big city. Okay. For middle school and high school, and then in, in my senior year in high school. We went to Washington, D.C. because my dad got a job as the director of Fish and Wildlife Service with the first Bush administration. Okay. So I finished my senior year in Washington, D.C. area. What a culture shock. It was huge culture shock and, 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 a, and a big adjustment. It was a hard adjustment for me because I was a country bumpkin. I was a nature girl. I was on the Nordic ski team here. I was kind of crunchy. I loved all of that. That defined who I was and it suited me the city didn't so that was a big adjustment for sure but it was it's good to get away because that's the only way you can get a broader perspective mm-hmm. on um, the world and on Jackson um, so it, it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me even though I went kicking and screaming and I was a miserable teenager for that <laughs> year. <laughs> it's hard to live with <laughs> that year it had to have been tough to be rooted, uprooted from the place that you love so much. And the only place that you know, we're going to D.C. I, I could not imagine what you were going through as a teenager. As a teenager. And it was, you know how social we are as teenagers, you mm-hmm. know, and how much our peer relationships matter. Was really tricky f- your senior year to move. And the only other kids that would read out, reach out to me at this high school, this new high school, were the military kids because they knew what it was like to be mm. a new kid. Because they were always the new kid. They were always the new kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were. it was really helpful that way. But the part that was really lonely for me was that I couldn't find kids that could relate to the natural world. And I think I took that for granted here that all kids 
spend time outside and have a relationship with the landscape. Not city kids. They don't have a, they didn't have a relationship with nature there. And that's a big part of our culture here. It is. And I couldn't find kids that shared my values that way. And it made it lonely because all I wanted to do was be outside and, Hmm. you know, look at the birds or find, you know, I couldn't find very much wildlife, some birds. It was hard to find natural places. And that's where I was most comfortable and most happy. Um, DC's, I mean, if you have to live in a city, DC's a beautiful place and it's great for being outside. You know, they have great pathways and bikeways and things like that, but not a lot of, well, natural spaces Mm -hmm. anymore. Well, I could say from my experience of living in a city, living in, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, I've lived in New Orleans, Louisiana, and going to a park in a city does not compare to being outdoors here, especially with Grand Teton National Park right on your back doorstep and you growing up in it just does not compare. Yes, you are outside, but what's available to you is so different. The experience is different. The experience is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is why I I think I value, when I came home, you know, just value the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and protecting it because of how rare and special it is Mm -hmm. and what what an invaluable asset it is in so many ways to our to, to our lifestyle, to our economy, to who we are as people here. Um, and I just, I think it's really special to raise kids in the natural world. It's not, it, it's, a, it's a place where they thrive, I think, because that's where kids are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know? Get them dirty. Get them dirty, exactly. Them <laughs> get them off the sidewalk yeah. and get them in, in it. And then, you know, they, they don't need a lot. They don't need a lot no. when they're in the natural world. We go camping with our boys. We bring them home after the weekend of camping, and there's a ring of dirt in that bathtub. <laughs> it has to get scrubbed. And I was the same way. My mom would make my brother and I strip sometimes in the driveway and hose us down because we'd be so muddy. That's great. She's like, you're not coming to my <laughs> That's great. That's as it should be. And the city was, it was just really boring to me there wasn't i mean yes there's a lot of culture and things like that but i think there's much more for kids imagination in the wilderness so now where where you are in your stage of life do you have a different appreciation for what the city can offer compared to when you were a kid i do but my threshold is four days okay you know i just uh i i've really come to terms with the fact that i'm a person who needs the wide open spaces. Mm-hmm. And so cities are too crowded and too noisy and too much, too much going on. So that's why I'm just so happy to be back in Jackson. And is Jackson the inspiration for the art that you create? It really is. The, the, um, there's, there's so many subjects that you can make art out of. You can make art out of the human experience. You can make political art. You can make all kinds of statements with art and mine is simple my art is about my love affair with this particular place so I'm very much a an artist that that work is about a place one particular place this place that has shaped me Jackson Hole and it's about the beauty in Jackson Hole 
it isn't even as much about the culture or the people or the recreational lifestyle. It's about the serenity that's found in the beauty of this place. So my, my paintings are, people might think that they're idealized, but pretty hard to over idealize the landscape here. What's hard to do is to do it justice, to do the magnificence of it, to, to, to actually accurately capture that. But I'm set, I'm set on spending my life trying. Good for you. <laughs> and it makes the world a better place. Having somebody such as yourself share what you feel that you receive from this place and you put it in in a medium that inspires you and allows you to share it with others and and not everybody wants to do that but you you do you you're you make yourself vulnerable enough to share that because you could paint it and keep it but you want to share it with other people and kudos for you for doing that well thank you thank you so much i appreciate it indeed it's a humbling undertaking to try and um, paint this place. It's been painted before. <laughs> it's been, you know, the, it's been the seed of inspiration and the muse for so many artists in the past. So it, it is daunting to try and do, to tr- try and bring your own voice to it. It's, it's an incredible honor and a privilege to get to spend my days doing it. And I have to say, the more I paint it, the more I want to paint it. The more The more experiences that I have, the more I want to take the, those same experiences and just go deeper with them because I, I, I go back to the same places over and over again I can't I can't tell you how many times I've gone to Schwabacher's and painted there or Oxbow Bend for instance and every day I go back there it's different depending on the season depending on the time of day depending on the weather patterns depending on the way the wind is blowing so it's the kind of thing that I don't ever expect to get tired of in fact it's just um becomes more compelling the more that i the more that i learn it's like anything the more you know you need to learn kind of thing and i'm going through a stage of my art right now where i feel very much a beginner's mind um i feel like i have to start all over again because i am missing a piece somewhere along the way um and i'm like gosh you know i mean i've painted this valley since i was a little kid I mean, I was the little kid with the sketchbook and the paints. You're in the art bus. <laughs> in the art bus, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I feel like I'm just beginning. That's special because you're always learning. Yeah, for sure. It's very, nature is a great teacher mm-hmm. and it definitely keeps us right-sized. We really can't, <laughs> Any, anybody, all of us can agree with that. You know, you can't be cocky or full of yourself with nature because she'll put you right back in your place. Oh, you bet. <laughs> and the people who do get cocky or are full of themselves with nature are the ones who get hurt. Exactly. They on the fr- front page of the paper. If not, life ending. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's one of the things I love about live- growing up here. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things I think that I think that explains why Jackson Hole is so down to earth. Because we literally are down to earth, you know, I think because we're connected with the natural world and we make it that a priority is because is is why we don't we're not too pretentious Mm -hmm. because we're probably all filled with wonder and awe in the face of nature. At least that's what I like to think. I can go with that one.
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I would go along with that one. I know with our kids, we when we get them outside and just explore and just enjoy the small things because we have a different perspective. I mean, we're grown, we're adults, but now my wife and I, we have the perspective from these little people who are walking around at a much lower level. So, and then we're explaining to them everything. So it's helped us learn as well. So we've learned a lot about the Valley because our kids ask us why. Mm. You give them an answer and then the next question is why? Well, could we all look through the eyes through the eyes of a child at this valley? Mm-hmm. That's the trick, I think. It is. So I owe my um, my appreciation and gratitude for the way that I was raised by my parents. Mm-hmm. My mom was from Detroit, Michigan, so she was import Im- imported here, and my dad, of course, grew grew up here, but he was a biologist and a zoologist. So he raised us in a way with where we were always learning about the animals and the the wildflowers and the geology. And so every single day was a science lesson outside. And I am so grateful because we kind of grew up as little naturalists mm-hmm. and growing up being living on the ranch is a great place to be a little naturalist. We were always making animal casts of tracks that we'd find down by the river and we'd have to identify which animal they came from and we'd be looking at the way that the w- the snow was piling up and studying that and my my dad was a his specialty was ornithology and study of raptors so he was always rehabilitating eagles and hawks and owls and they were always in our house, in our backyard. Before the Raptor Center? He was the first Raptor Center. Okay. What was it like <laughs> having was... an eagle or an owl living in your house? <laughs> was... I thought it, it was just like, I thought everybody had an eagle in their house. <laughs> and our job as kids was to get mice and, and gophers for the eagle to eat. Okay. So that was our little task. What's it that. like going on a mouse or a gopher hunt to feed these animals? Well, it's not allowed in the National <laughs> National Park. But there were no places to mail order frozen quail uh-huh. like they feed in the Raptor Center now. So it was for a good cause. And it helped keep the mouse population down in the cabins of the ranch. I bet. Yeah. Would you guys go out with your BB guns or pellet guns? And I'm glad there's a statue of limitations on that. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> No, we'll get in trouble. Okay, good. Yeah, no, we'll get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's spectacular. Hey, go catch 12 mice. We got to feed these animals. We have to feed the animals. Yeah. I love it. So where did your dad receive his education? He went undergraduate school to the University of Notre Dame. And that's where I went to school, too. Okay. There's a lot of us who ended up there, Indiana schools. And then he went and did his master's at the University of Michigan. Hence how he and your mom maybe met? That, well, they actually met at Notre Dame. Okay. She went to the St. Mary's the mm-hmm. sister school there, and then they ended up back. But for your dad, I mean, you grew up in a small town, but your dad grew up in a tiny town. In an even smaller town. And for yeah. him to leave here and go to Notre Dame for, for university, for undergrad school, was talk about a shock, a culture shock he had to have been 
going through a culture shock. You need to do a podcast on my dad. Okay. He's got better stories than I do. <laughs> you have great stories. <laughs> yes. We'll talk afterwards about getting your dad on here. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> my best story of my dad was the night we, we would all, we'd all been tucked in and my dad was cleaning his gun as we do here, you know, and he was laying in bed cleaning his gun after outfitting season and the TV was on and the sound was driving him crazy. They were talking about, I don't know, grain prices in Idaho or something. And he just thinks the TV is annoying and the sound of TV is annoying. And why do we have this stupid TV in the house? And it's just the sound of it is. So he took his gun and he pointed it at the TV and he pulled the trigger, not knowing there was a bullet in the <laughs> chamber. And he shot the TV. <laughs> What did your mom do? My mom thought he she had married a redneck a crazy man. <laughs> Lost his mind with three children asleep in the room next door. And she comes running. She's like, John, have you lost it? What is your problem? And he was really embarrassed, first of all, because no good, you know, rifleman has a bullet in the chamber and is cleaning it. They so know exactly was, where those bullets yes, are. Yes, he was so embarrassed about that, but he was even more upset because while he shot it clean shot through the screen of the TV and shattered it in this beautiful, perfect spider web. Well, he killed the picture, but he the sound kept going. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to get up, walk across the room, and turn the damn sound off. I love it. So that was the last... That was the last of having a TV in the house. I spent the rest of my childhood with no TV, which was really great. That's why my dad's my hero. I love it. So many people could not imagine living without a TV. I, actually, I have never gotten a TV since. Really? I still don't have a you TV. You don't have a TV? No. To this so day. I haven't had a TV for over 35 years. Wow. You hear that, everybody? Catherine Turner does not have a TV. <laughs> she focuses on art and nature. <laughs> I love it. There's some things I've missed out on, but a whole lot of... I don't think I have. No, you haven't. You found other ways to spend your time. I mean, we could think about how much time somebody spends on Facebook a day. Let's say you spend five minutes at the minimum on Facebook a day. Well, multiply that times 365 days a year. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of books you could read. Yeah. That's a lot well, of Well, it's frightening because I heard a statistic that the average American watches four hours of TV a day. Now, that's significant time. That's a lot of time you could learn how to play the harmonica, learn to draw nature, um, you know, talk to your spouse. Exactly, right? <laughs> talk to your children. <laughs> do something. Hello. Yes. Catherine, this has been such an honor and spectacular afternoon getting to sit here and talk with you. Before we leave, because you are such a renowned artist, how can people connect with you if they want to reach out to you? Well, Stefan, I think you're doing a great job with this podcast. Thank you. You're a great host, <laughs> and you have, have wonderful questions and are so warm, and it's it's fun been fun to talk with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to invite anyone who's interested to come and see our gallery in town, which is located across from the Visitor Center on Cash. So it's up north as you're going out of town, mm -hmm. called Turner Fine Art. Or to visit our website, we have two URLs, turnerfineart.com. And then my paintings can be found at Catherine Mapes Turner. 
Mapes.com, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, MapesTurner.com. So we, we are very excited about what we're doing at the gallery. We have a lot of um, guest artists that we host in Jackson. And that's what's really been fun to have my super talented friends or heroes and share their work here. And then it's also a place where you can find my paintings and drawings, my watercolors and oil paintings. So your um, medium, your use of through art is watercolor and oil. Mm-hmm. And, Beautiful. I, and I do drawings. Well, I'll have to bring the boys over so we can Please check out some do. of Please do. Yes. yes, I'd love it. They're inspired they, by seeing all the beautiful, beautiful things. That... Well, kids are just natural artists. Yeah. Well, thank you, Catherine. Have a fantastic day, and we will continue to connect and see each other around town. All the best to yeah. you and this podcast. Thank you, Catherine. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft-serve ice cream and a six-pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review The Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout-out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Y'all come back again, you hear?